Poppy Parnell is walking with her husband down one of her neighborhood's tree-lined streets. If I host this dinner for your new colleagues, razzle-dazzle. Razzle-dazzle. I can eliminate a week on the vineyard with your snotty-ass mother. Poppy is a journalist and a well-known one at that. She cut her teeth on a case that sent a young man to prison for life. Her reporting helped get him tried as an adult and it cemented his fate. But recently, she started to worry that in her quest to further her career and use this murder case to do it, she might have missed some crucial pieces of evidence. So almost two decades after her initial coverage, she begins digging into the details a second time round. And as she does, she shares those findings on her podcast. Poppy is walking in her neighborhood with her husband when the police chief rolls up in his cruiser and literally cuts them off. Here we go. Can I speak to you for a moment? Poppy's gaze hardens, and Poppy's husband steps in front of her. Can I help you? Now, I'm asking you, as father, not as a uniform, to stop. What if I'm right? What if you did make a mistake? My son deserves to be in prison. And you're going to come to the same conclusion. Because it's the truth. When the police chief drives away, Poppy and her husband look around. Their white neighbors have all emerged from their houses. Oh, that just turned us from the new people in the neighborhood to the black people in the neighborhood. Poppy is a character played by Octavia Spencer on the Apple TV Plus TV series Truth Be Told. She doesn't have to get up on a soapbox to explain the dynamics. It's a quick acknowledgement that even with money and career success, being a black family in a predominantly white neighborhood means that Poppy and her husband are under an extra level of scrutiny. Nichelle Tramble-Spellman explores these dynamics, along with a season-long study of power and truth and who wields them, as the brain behind Poppy's character and story. I'm Damian Bradfield, and this is Influence, a podcast by WeTransfer. Influence is a show about influence. Who has it, who wants it, and how to use it for good. Nichelle Tramble-Spellman is the creator and showrunner on the Apple TV Plus series Truth Be Told, which revolves around the journalist-turned-podcaster Poppy Parnell. She also runs a production company with her husband Malcolm Spellman called The 51, which develops projects by underrepresented voices. What's on TV influences the way that viewers see the world. Nichelle wields that power thoughtfully. Nichelle, very nice to meet you. Thanks for making the time. Thank you so much. Maybe you could first of all help us understand what a showrunner is so that people have a bit of an idea as to what it is that you do. Well, it's the person who's in charge of both the creative and the production. It's a big title for one person. You sit in writer's rooms for years with different showrunners and you sit there and you think, yeah, I wouldn't do that that way. And then you get into that seat and you understand the reasons why some choices were made because it can be a very overwhelming job. Usually as a writer, you're focused on the writing, you know, focused on hitting deadlines, writing something that people respond to. But now you're bombarded with questions about the construction of the sets, casting, the budget, props, 
you know, whether this paint color looks good on the ceiling of this one room that they might not show on camera. And I came home after the first week and I said to my husband, I didn't know that so many questions existed in one day. So <laughs> it's kind of like you're the general, you're in charge of all the troops. But would it be fair to say that you're sort of the CEO for that project? Yes. Okay. Yep. So you're the CEO of a series called Truth Be Told. If those of you listening haven't watched it, you should do. And it's about a journalist turned podcaster played by the incredible Octavia Spencer, who revisits a murder case. And it's a murder case that she covered as a young journalist. I just want to ask Octavia Spencer, is she everything that you'd hoped she'd be? She's amazing. She's the she's the best. She's the best actress. And she's a wonderful human being. So I got so lucky with my first show that number one on the call sheet is just a diamond. And um, season two, Kate Hudson joins us and she was perfection. So I just, you know, I almost want to end the show because I don't want to risk it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Poppy Parnell, the character played by Octavia Spencer, has got a podcast. Obviously, that's relevant for us. As CEO of this project, you went out and raised the money, you pitched it to Apple, you got Apple on board. So why podcasting? What's the unique power of this medium? Um, a couple of things. This is based on a book called Are You Sleeping? And I went to a meeting with a producer who I'd worked with in the past. As I was getting ready to leave, she said, oh, yeah, we got this book in that hasn't been published yet, but I think there's something there. Do you want to take a look at it and maybe read it over the holiday? This was maybe three Christmases ago. And so I took it home, read it over the Christmas break. And in January, when she and I talked, I said, you know, I think there's something really interesting here. But the podcaster is a very, very minor character in the story. So my idea for this adaptation would be to make the podcaster the center of the story. And that way we could have somewhat of an anthology series where we investigate a different story every season. It gave us the possibility of refreshing the cast, you know, not getting bored with the same old story and then delving into different questions. And it was really just to open up the world. And it was also to kind of explore the wild, wild west of modern day journalism. There's a way in which anybody can start a Twitter account, throw up a podcast, and they're a journalist, not with the same level of training that we saw in the past or the same responsibility to anyone, whether it's a corporation or a person. So it was interesting to me to have this woman who came from very traditional background all of a sudden be in a medium where she could just run on her own opinion for good and bad. And what we explore in season two is the consequences of that no hold bar level of journalism. So it's a bit of an ongoing story. But what was appealing to me was allowing her opinion to be a part of the story and then her opinion taking over the story, whether she was right or wrong. You said it's based on a book that you read three Christmases ago. Yeah. To have read something three Christmases ago, to have pitched it, sold it and produced it, executed it and have it already in season two, seems pretty quick. Oh my God, it was remarkably quick. I read it that Christmas, spoke to the producer in January, and we went out to pitch it in September. So two weeks we pitched all over town. We were lucky enough to have multiple offers, and I was really excited about the idea of working with Apple on this new venture. We started the writer's room in February, and we started shooting in June. So it was like, boom, let's go. And one of the reasons was because they were getting ready to launch the platform and there needed to be content. And it happened very, very quickly. 
and we just wrapped season two two weeks ago. Your background is writing, right? So you've written books. You've also been a writer, obviously, on other shows and in particular, The Good Wife. Yeah, and Justified. The Writer's Room. I can imagine the ego playing a huge role and people's inability to listen. And I can see it going terribly wrong. So what are the key ingredients for making it successful? You know, every room I've been in has had a different personality and it comes from the top. So, you know, there are some jobs that I've been offered and I knew that they had terrible CEOs, <laughs> you know, that the environment there was abusive or negative or twisted or whatever. And so I'd pass on those jobs. The best kept secret is everybody knows where the bad shows are. But it can be a place where you leave at the end of the day demoralized. And I had zero interest in that. My point of view is it's one of the best jobs, in my opinion, in the world. Why make it awful? And I didn't want people that had reputations for being political or that they maneuvered or they had nasty personalities or they didn't play well with others. None of that. The key ingredient for me was smart, creative people that knew how to operate in a respectful environment. You want the room to be open so there could be a fair exchange of ideas. You know, we're dealing with grief in an episode. We're dealing with generational trauma over the whole series. Like what role does violence play generationally in a family? So that will lead to people telling stories about their own family history. So if there's judgment sitting across the table, you're not going to get into the specificity and the nitty gritty of the story that's interesting and will make for good TV. So it's really up to the showrunner to set the tone and set the environment that is going to be the individual writer room. Could you perhaps give some examples of, of where it's been personal, where you can see that mm -hmm. um, you know, people have been able to riff on some of your suggestions or others? So the podcaster who was in the original novel, the story was set in a small town in Illinois, which I know very little about. And so when we made the podcaster the center of the story, I then had to build her character, build her backstory, build her family history out from scratch because we didn't know a lot of it. In addition, the casting of Octavia Spencer and Octavia being an EP on the show, I had to build a backstory that matched this Black woman because the character was not Black in the novel. So we moved it to the Bay Area, which is something that I know growing up there. I had four writers in the room who were also from the Bay Area, but there were small things that were pieces of family history that we threw in there. Octavia's character's name is Poppy Parnell. There's a scene where Poppy is getting dressed. She goes in her closet and she opens a drawer and there are all these switchblades beautifully kept in this jewelry box and they have engravings on them and they say her mother's name on the show and her grandmother's name. So when my mother passed away, one of the beautiful things that we found was a box of beaded, you know, crystal bags, all these really pretty evening bags. And every single one of them had a switchblade inside. <laughs> and my sisters and I had no idea that my mom carried switchblades in her, in her purse. But it was so, like, it just said so much about her. It's just like, I'm a lady but I will cut you. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. So then she passed away in 2008 and I've always wanted to use that. And it's the kind of history that matched this character because she grew up the daughter of a biker and the capstones, which is the bike club on the show is based on a black motorcycle club that was established in Oakland. 
one of the most powerful scenes in the show is when Poppy's sister gets arrested in retaliation for Poppy's investigation into an old murder case. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, when she's being processed, they take her hair and clip off her nails and take out her eyelashes. It, I mean, it's quite awful. It's filmed and you, you've written it in the way that it's, she's, she's being erased. Why was that element important? We wanted the consequences of Poppy's actions to ripple through her family. And there are all these things that, you know, I'll read about or I'll see or I'll hear about, and they'll just live in my brain for years until I have the opportunity to use them. And one of the things that was always just so disturbing to me was the sport of humiliation, sometimes when people are arrested. And it can be specific to race and gender. And so for this Black woman who is so tied up in her physicality and how she looks, she loves to be glamorous. She loves to be done up to the nines. The best way to break her down would be to strip her of all that artifice. And so we talked about the scene in the room. I told the story of LAX being notorious for years for doing that to women when they came through the airport. It was a little bit of a, a game that they played, I don't know why, where if they saw someone and they suspected that they were wearing a weave or a wig, there are security reasons sometimes, but it didn't feel like that was the reason that they would strip these women of these things in the airport, in a public arena. Just the idea of combining those two things in this environment of a police station that's not physical violence, but it is emotionally violent what they did to her. And we really wanted to have everyone in her family pay for her work in some way. It was an interesting scene to pitch because then everybody starts sort of talking about different ways they've been humiliated or, you know, where someone has used their authority to erase them. And I think it was one of the best scenes of the season. And why did you want other people to see that? I mean, why, why is that important? Because I don't think that people actually know or knew that that happened to that degree. And it was just a parking ticket and she hadn't really done anything wrong. So it was the perfect way to kind of show that. Now, if she had been on a crime spree and she'd murdered nine people, you wouldn't care if that was done to her. But this was done to someone to get back at her sister in this really horrific way that they break her down when she's processed would just hit with more of a punch. Do you feel some responsibility when you're writing and when you're producing a show like this? I do. I feel more responsibility to the characters, though. And so I know that writers have this discussion about that all the time. But I feel like if I go in and the only thing I'm thinking about is responsibility and what the ramifications are, then there's a way that the characters become a little bit of a soapbox. And I'd just rather have it come out through the character interactions and their relationships. So if there is something that I want to express, then the goal is to try to find the way to do it in the most organic way possible. And I think that that scene is an example of how we were able to accomplish that. If you wanted to continue trying to build out characters with humanity and enable people to you know, interpret them and, and respond positively, would it not be simpler to just carry on writing novels? Yes, but I probably wouldn't be able to pay my bills. True. <laughs> so <laughs> I did um, a two book series for Random House and I loved it. And writing those novels was 
just truly a wonderful experience, especially with book one, because I hadn't sold it. It was just me in my little apartment with my dog writing away. I had no idea what was going to happen at the end of it. It was so pure that I don't know that that could ever be duplicated again, because by the time I wrote the second book, I was under contract to Random House. And so now I was writing for an audience and I was writing for my editors. But, you know, those royalty statements came in and it was like, I will always have to have another job (laughs) if I do this. So what is the play here? And a friend of mine, one of my best friends said, I don't know anyone who watches more TV than you. Why haven't you thought of this before? And I thought, I don't know why I haven't thought of this before. So I made the transition to TV in 2007. And obviously TV has, I don't know if it has more influence. I mean, depending on how many novels you can sell. Mm -hmm. How do you see the process in doing the work that you want to do? You know, working in TV in general, there are a lot of voices and it's a hugely collaborative medium. So working on the novels and then going to my first show, I remember the experience of, you know, everybody's talking around the table, pitching, whatever else. And I pitched an idea and a solution to something and it didn't land. You know, it was just like no one picked up on it. It wasn't the solution that went up on the board. And I just remember thinking, did you hear what I just said? (laughs) Because... (laughs) Previously, if I had that idea, that was the idea. And that's what we're working on. So learning to just say, well, I have this idea and I think that we could do this, this and this here. And then the showrunner or the other writers like, "Eh, that doesn't work. And here's why. And then it's gone. The idea is done. It doesn't work. There was so much adjustment to that to the point that new writers will go back to the idea again and again because they're thinking, well, maybe I just need to pitch it different or maybe they weren't listening. And it's like, no, the idea didn't work. That's it. Let's move on. So when you're sitting there and you're determining everything in the entire world, it's really different. And now what's it like as the showrunner in that room? I have more control. So I'm the person when someone pitches and I'm like, oh, I don't think that works. That doesn't feel like something that Poppy would do, or that doesn't feel like something that the Marcus character would think. And it's because they live in my head a little bit more than they do for the rest of the writers, even though everybody's given their all. And then the thing here that's an added piece is this is completely different from what the novelist imagined. It's a different title. It's not set in Illinois. And the lead is Black and the lead is a podcaster. And in her novel, The story was based around the twins that were played by Lizzie Kaplan on screen. Michelle, I just want to ask you about representation in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. If you could wave your magic wand, what would you wish for? Well, I think one of the things that the gatekeepers need to look like what's on screen, the world and the writers rooms, because there's a level of frustration when you go to pitch a story and you have to give a cultural lesson first. Because the common denominator of different histories aren't there. You know, it's not malicious, but there's a level of ignorance in the basic misunderstandings about each other. If there's a story that you want to do, but first you have to spend 15 minutes saying, no, this is real. This happened. This is the experience of these people. It's frustrating. But I think that's cracking open, quite frankly. I can't imagine a show like Atlanta being on the air 10 years ago. And that's such a fantastic show. What we have seen, Fleabag or Insecure or I May Destroy You. The fact that all those shows are there now, finding audiences, people are talking about them, and you're seeing that there's more than one experience. I I think that good work is being done in that area. In a new company called The 51, 
Well, you're working with your husband and trying to address the persistent lack of representation of marginalized groups. What are you hoping to influence? What are you hoping to get out of that production company that others aren't doing? Well, Malcolm and I, he's just coming off of Falcon and Winter Soldier and Hip Hop Uncovered, two shows that he did this year. And two years ago, we decided that we wanted to work together as producers. There are all these stories that we wanted to tell, but as writers, we don't have the time and we don't have clones. So we need to bring in other writers and bring in other people to work with. So we decided to form the production company and then we signed a first look deal with HBO. And we basically want to nurture new voices. There's a traditional track of college, Hollywood, connections, whatever else. But what about all these other people who don't have that connection and maybe didn't go to college, but they could be amazing storytellers or great directors or great filmmakers. So we've been working to establish a program where we tap into some of that and we could be mentors and an avenue for some of those underrepresented voices and people. So we've worked with a couple of young people at our company who didn't go the traditional route to school, but then have these great stories. And one of them is, I can't talk about it yet, but one of them is turning into a pitch that we're going to take out, okay. which is pretty exciting. But, you know, he didn't go to college. Neither of us did the normal educational route. We're self-taught writers. So we know that there's value in those voices that you might not hear. Can you give an example of the type of projects that you're, you're looking at or the type of work you're aiming to produce? Well, you know, what was a perfect example of it is Hip Hop Uncovered, the documentary that he did for FX and Hulu, because that told the story of these characters in the um, hip hop world and in the music arena that the public hadn't heard about. And they've been a massive influence on the music business and on so many musicians. And they got to tell the story in their own words. It's five episodes. It's worth a, a look. It's a it's a wonderful show. And that's out now. You can see it on Hulu. Okay. Um, like you did with uh, Truth Be Told and Poppy's Dad, how do you think about incorporating stories not typically shared on screen? Well, I think that if you can find a character that is interesting to you, so then that way it will be interesting to the audience, it's a way to tell that story. With the Shreve character, who's played by Ron Cephas Jones, and he plays Poppy's father on the show, Growing up in the Bay Area, the East Bay Dragons, that's the Black Motorcycle Club, were such a huge presence. And outside of the Bay Area, people didn't know who they were. And they were fascinating to me. And they used to do this this thing, this family picnic every year. So it's all these bikers and there's games and all these things going on in the park, all these kids. And I thought that was cool. I'm hoping sometime during these seasons, we could get a shot of that because you think of these men in a certain way. And even on the show, they're criminals, but they're also family men. And so I just like the texture of a person and a character not just being one thing. Can you give us a, a sort of aha moment in your career where you thought to yourself, OK, I've, I've done it. I've, I've helped change something. This has moved the needle. But you felt like this is all worth it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is going to seem obvious to everyone. But uh, Malcolm and I, when we realized, oh, man, we could team up and do this together. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we were siloed and we both had, you know, our separate individual careers. I started as a novelist and went to TV and he's a feature guy before he moved into TV. So it wasn't until he did that first year at Empire when it exploded and it was this massive show that changed TV ratings and everything else that we had the same um, language in common. 
So him being in a writer's room for a year and it wasn't the novelist talking to the feature writer or the feature writer talking to the television writer. It was two television writers talking and we had this common denominator language and we understood each other and we'd always leaned on each other to help with story and everything else. But once we did that and we worked on a project for Amazon called A Brief History of Seven Killings based on the Marlon James novel about Bob Marley The project didn't go, but the working experience was so wonderful that we got out of that and we both said, you know what, let's do this. So he came on and consulted season one of Truth Be Told. And that was our other test balloon. And once we survived that, (laughs) then we're just like, okay, let's let's actually formalize this and do this together. And now you're what they call a Hollywood power couple. Oh, my God. Don't say that. It's so boring if that's what we are. Most of the time, we're at home with our dogs. Yeah, no, but we're all at home nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're the most boring Hollywood couple that you'll meet. That's so funny, but, but also flattering, I suppose. So what's next? How are you going to use your position to continue to influence? I think that continuing to foster new voices, whether that's in the writer's room or behind the camera. Just like, you know, you go to set and you see, oh, on screen, this is diverse. On set, it should be just as diverse. It should look like what the world looks like. I don't think that is accomplished with, let's get five Black people, five Asians, six women, eight men. I think it's just looking at the world the way you see it when you walk out the door, and especially growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is such a melting pot. I want that representation everywhere. I don't want to be a dictator about it because then it gets to what we talked about earlier where it's unnatural. Um, I think it should be organic in that way, but mindful. So when the writers come in, I want to hear about their experiences and how they're different from mine because then that enhances the show. And I'm you know, excited to tell different stories, stories that maybe the world hasn't seen before. There was one I love that didn't sell, but I thought it would have been a great story. (laughs) Tell us, what is it? What was interesting is that I saw it on one episode of a PBS show, but another friend of mine and I, we went out years ago to pitch the story about Sarah Forbes. She was this African woman who was raised by Queen Victoria and she had such a great story. And I thought, what a beautiful costume drama. If Sarah Forbes is at the center of that story, she's the lead and we're following her life and she's not a secondary character to someone else's. That's a really beautiful, different way to do a big sweeping costume drama. I think you should pitch it in the UK. Okay. The only thing we produce is period dramas. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do that. Okay, I'll introduce you. BBC after this. And that concludes our episode for today. If you're interested in checking out Nichelle's work, which you should be, the second season of Truth Be Told will be out in August. Thank you to Nichelle for treating us podcasters so seriously and for nudging Hollywood into telling more diverse stories. Influence is hosted by me, Damien Bradfield. Our producer is the amazing Rachel Swaby with editing from Elise Hugh and Audrey No. Sound engineering is by Mark Bush and our WeTransfer creative producer is Linda Mertens. Once again, amazingly big thank you to our studio in Amsterdam, Center Sound. And you can find Influence on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 
If you're enjoying the show, please follow, rate, and leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at DJ Bradfield. And if there's anyone that you think we should interview, I'd love to hear from you. Influence is a podcast from WeTransfer, produced in association with Reasonable Volume. We'll be back with a new episode in two weeks.